welcome to Real Rap with Reynolds Teacher Talk with your host, C.J. Reynolds. Going live and we are live. Good day, everyone. I'll give a second until everyone kind of jumps in here and then we will <laughs> jump into questions and all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what I got right now. Uh... What up, Trace? How are you? See, putting the boy to work in the backyard on Instagram. Um, what's up? What's up? What's up? Got the book this week. Thanks, man. I'm glad. Uh, I'm interested to see uh, what it does for you and uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, Rebecca, what's up? Uh, da Vinci. That's a great. I think I really like that profile picture. It's very interesting. It remind, there's a artist that Rogan was talking about the other day that, that reminds me of. Um, what up, Chris? <clears throat> so cool. Here it all. Here, here comes the flood. Here comes all, all the folks that look. You're, it's the gang, man. We're all on here together every Sunday. Uh, sorry, I wasn't on here last week, and I meant to make an announcement about it, and I really just forgot. It was Mother's Day, and so. We spent the day celebrating my wife, who doesn't really want to be celebrated, if we're, if we're honest about it. She just wants peace and quiet. That's all she wants. I really uh, hate, I, it's really funny. I hate birthdays. I hate Mother's Day. Like, anything that has to do to, like, celebrate or spotlight me. It's just, like, not my jam. Like, I just don't feel comfortable. I love and appreciate You're the hidden it. figure. I am. I just, I like to say I'm better. Which is why I'm off to the side and not in front of yeah. the camera. So it's, it, but we went, um down the shore and uh because you're if you live in jersey you call it down the shore and so we just went and like walked on the beach which was like basically deserted and found horseshoe crabs and seashells and then brought them home and now they are all living on my front porch right now on my front porch there are <laughs> hermit shell crabs there are there's a horseshoe crab shell and there's an enormous turtle shell there are a lot of carcasses Wait, and a complete like exoskeleton of of a crab like oh yeah it's like perfectly intact we found it perfectly intact which is awesome so now it's in a specimen jar did you see that movie the bone collector that's how i'm starting i'm starting to feel that's like what marley's like i'm starting to feel like uh like it's the the mooter museum in philly it's like you know oddities of science that are that are crowding my house um <clears throat> so cool uh i am so before we jump into this um so let's just jump into this. I'll do my little preamble thing for the new people, and then um, and then we'll just we'll just jump right into it. So, everyone, welcome. This is uh this is Sunday night teacher talk, which is at one o'clock p.m. Eastern time. So not really night, but you know time is irrelevant these days because before I know it, it's eight o'clock and and whatever. So my name is C.J. Reynolds. I run this YouTube channel. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and um, and Twitter and uh, there's a book called Teach Your Class Off that you can get. So we're, we're trying to we're trying to hit all the markets and why? Because we think that these conversations are important. We think that there is value in meeting as educators and having dialogue about what's going on in the classroom because a lot of times you can feel alienated about a number of things. And so we meet together every Sunday to kind of talk about that. And it's when I say meet, um, it's not just me. It's all, so on my computer, it's all these folks that are here on the side and we show up to help you answer your questions and to create 
this community that we feel is really important and empowering to teachers. Um, so all you have to do is put your question in on the side. There are no questions that are off, <clears throat> excuse me, that are off limits. Uh, I'll talk about anything, but it does help if you write question or the letter Q beforehand, because that's just going to signify that you wrote a question. Now, if you don't do that, we'll hopefully see it anyway, but it just helps, you know, the not so secret wife uh, kind of handle things on here. Um, and that's it, right? Yeah. Cool. So whatever you got, I'm on it. Is that Alicia Ray in there? I see you, girl. And someone from Ron Clark. Um, at least you raised my buddy. Someone from Ron Clark? Mm -hmm. um, Ron Clark's a fascinating, fascinating really individual. Um, beautiful eye and eyebrow picture. I, I really like profile pictures. Yeah, they're so, interesting. I, always, I, write, I feel like I always comment on them. Mm -hmm. um, so look, while my wife is pulling up the first question, um, I thought about, and I was going to bring the book in here. Uh, I thought about, like, I've been reading... Um, and I've been reading a lot and listening to a lot of podcasts lately. And so my favorite new podcast is, uh, there's only one episode, is uh, the Darius Daniels podcast. So that's worth checking out. Um, and then I've been listening to a lot of stuff on mindset. And there was a really interesting podcast I was listening to yesterday. And I'm going to forget who it was because I have to right now. But it was the Tim Ferriss podcast. And they were talking about psychedelics, which is something that I'm very, very interested in, something I've never tried before. But I'm very interested in this idea that um, through like uh, using psychedelics and using um, therapy, that folks are getting like literally cured from things like PTSD and lifelong struggles with depression. And when I have so many students and I'm often helping to sort of like manage some of that stuff, I just think that's fascinating. Um, it's, it's an interesting conversation. And so the book that I'm reading this week is going to be part of a book club that I'm doing with a bunch of other, um, it's like a bunch of, I think it's basically people from YouTube and Instagram. Are you going to grab it? Uh, to start having uh, conversations about race. And so especially race as teachers and like, what does that look like to um, be a black educator in a classroom with students that either look like you or don't look like you or being a white educator in a classroom with people that look like you or don't look like you or come from the same background or, or share the same views. And so we're reading, um, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? And so it's pretty needy. So we're going to like break this down in chunks and then we'll talk about it each week. So, uh, and then I'll, and then each week, so I'm, this is going to be like ongoing things. It's part of a book club, but then I'm reading different books each week to kind of like uh, just feed my mind during this time. Cause again, I'm, I'm really excited about like the idea of like when the world opens back up, what is your new normal? What are you coming out of this looking like before? Like, I don't want to go back to, to, to the world or to school being the same individual that I was when I left. I want to be stronger, better, you know, more, more excited about what I'm getting into. What you got there, dude? All right. Uh, Timmy is, uh, asking what is the graphic on your shirt oh so like yo old navy made all these shirts man it is um it says digging in the crates and so they have like all these like old throwback hip-hop shirts that i don't think anybody was buying because they were selling them for like five dollars so i just bought a whole bunch of them <clears throat> so i was talking about one of the things i love about this idea of digging in the crates is I love this idea from hip hop culture that we are, or from music in general, but especially in hip hop, where there's always this, it is when you dig in crates and you look for records, DJs held those records close to their heart. They didn't want everyone to know where their samples were coming from because they didn't want anyone else to steal it. 
So it took listening to all kinds of music, right? Whether it was rock or soul or jazz or Afro-Cuban, and then taking elements of that, looking for breaks in that, and then using that in the music. And I think that as educators, we are, we're always digging in crates. We're always looking for influences in pop culture, in art, in music, in video games, on YouTube, in uh, in history, that we're trying to find little nuggets that are going to build engagement in our classes, build bridges for our students. Um, and I just, I love that idea. So aside from the fact that I just, you know, I'm a fan of hip hop and, and, and that that's one piece, but that idea of digging the crates is like, no, what are we doing? Like right now that I feel like that's what this is, right? Like we are, we're like this community of, of educators that are trying to like, like look through each other's record collection to see like, what idea you have for this? What's going on with this? And I just, so I love that idea. Um, Piano Boy is asking, first year teacher, what suggestions do you have for balancing a social life outside of teaching, meeting, uh, curriculum planning, et cetera? See, isn't it so funny that this mm -hmm. question came up? So um, it, that's really funny because we were just in that podcast that I referenced. This was spoken about in there and I, and I was saying how i've never done a video on work like on work i don't i know and that's not true i did a video on finding balance i i and so, yeah, so the, the the creator of the podcast i was listening to this guy darius daniels was saying that life is sort of like a seesaw so those of you that are old enough remember seesaws like you would sit on this thing and one person sits on one side one sits on the other side and you balance back and forth right right but if you're on there by yourself, life can often feel like a seesaw where you are trying to constantly recalibrate, rebalance, repivot so that you can find some sort of equilibrium. But it is it's impossible to hold it there forever. And I like work life balance to spinning plates all the time. Right. You're the plates never stop. Right. So there's always plates that are spinning, but it is. How many plates do you want to spin, right? Like, so maybe you're a person that lives a very simple lifestyle and you have two plates and you're you're single and you work and you come home and, and you're like, you're content like that, right? Um, there are those of us that I like having, you know, sometimes I, I don't love it, but, you know, for the most part, um, I feel the most complete and excited about life and impassioned when I have like 12 things going on at once. And so sometimes I see that plate of, my relationship with my wife is getting a little wobbly. It's slowing down. I got to pivot, go over there and start spinning that plate. Then I see something with my kids, something with my friends, my own interior work that I need to be doing, uh, something with school, writing something new, putting out a YouTube video, connecting with people online. Like there are all these different plates that are going on. And so it is constantly figuring out which one it's being able to monitor what you have going on and seeing where your attention is needed. And I think that that's how you create work-life balance. I don't think that you're ever, unless you have like telekinesis, you can't just sit back and be like, this will all work out because with my brain, I'm going to move these plates equally at all times. But you can't because when I'm with my wife and I'm present, um, meaning I'm not on my phone, I'm not watching TV, I'm not, unless that's the, the activity that we've decided to engage in, I'm not like working out, like I'm with my wife or I'm with my kids. I heard on a podcast recently, this guy, Jesse Itzler said, um, be where your feet are. And so wherever you are at the moment, that's where you are. And I, and I just think when we 
focus in on something. I'm gonna, I realize I'm going long on this. I'll, I'll finish up. I realize that like uh, when we are focused 100% on something, then we get a lot more done, right? Ron, I'm always quoting Ron Swanson who said, don't half-ass anything, whole-ass everything. Get your whole ass into what you're doing. And so if I'm doing yard work, I'm just doing yard work. And if I'm doing, if I'm running, I'm just running. I'm not running and texting people at the same time or trying to do a phone call on headphones. It's like, nah, bro, I can. And I literally, I also can't multitask at all. Um, no. So thanks. Thanks for so for affirming first, <laughs> But I think for him, for a first year teacher, like a, a good note to would be that like, yeah, first year, like your first few mm-hmm. years in education, Word. that's that plate needs a lot of attention and a lot of spill yeah. because you're building something, you're so building your craft. It becomes saying no to a lot of other yeah. things. Opportunities. When the school wants you to chaperone, coach, go on, uh, lead a club, it's like being able to say no so that you can do things well do, that you're doing because then you get you get good at just teaching. You get good at showing up and, and making, you know, and that's sprinkle magic. So, like, you know, I, I just think that that's, that's the move. Um, Stephanie Henry question, what advice do you have for a teach for teaching students that have had emotional trauma? My student has been, has had a terrible time with focus and recall retention and has been through a lot. I think, look, this is a really great question in terms of, you know, especially right now that, you know, it's, it's difficult now, right? So my answer for now, while we're, most of us are still in quarantine is going to be different than if we were in school. Because right now I can call someone and and they're, it's harder to read. I can't see their body language. I can't see how they're holding themselves. I can't see how they're interacting with others. I can't see how they walk down the hallway. These are all clues that I pull on all the time to be able to really know what's going on with the kids. So if I go, yo, you good? And then they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. It's like, are you really? Or did I see you get into like, like a, like a, pretty tough like play fight at the end of the hallway or get into it with a teacher or an educator that asks you to like tuck your shirt in or take your hat off or something like that and like your response to that was a little bit explosive and so I can't see that right now my my answer is always your attention is better than your advice right your attention is always more important than your advice so for right now it's been just calling kids and when they don't answer I just text them or I just leave a nice message um, and just saying like, yo, it's, and it's never, I, I, it's rarely about school stuff. Typically kids bring up school stuff, but I'm just like, what's going on? What have you been doing? What, like, this is what I've been doing. This is something that like, you know, I, I miss about school or I really miss you. Like I really, I I'm sorry. Our year got cut off. It's letting kids know that you care. And then just being there to listen to whatever they have to say. And then just honoring that, right. It is, um, it is going through it with someone, not leading someone through something. That that's like, I think that's the, that's the wrong play. Um, so we're not healing anyone. We're not doing anything to to save anyone. We're not doing anything that is fixing anyone. It is you know, and this is a lesson that I've learned from being married for so long. Is that so often my wife doesn't want my advice. My wife just wants me to listen to her and to hear what's going on. I like that I used my sincere voice there and you're laughing on the side. It's really the truth. It's the truth, right? Word. Which is so funny because you give advice to like so many people, but I'm always like, I don't want your advice. Yeah. I just want you to listen to me. Yeah. And 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 so it's and but the, the important thing there is 
knowing someone's, you know, what we refer to as like your love language, right? It's like, what do you need? And then, but everyone wants attention. Like it's just, they just don't want to tell you about it. So, and then in terms of trauma, it's getting kids to talk about it. It's getting kids to know that their feelings are okay. It's getting kids to know that they can do something with that man, with that sad that they feel inside, which is why I put that Mr. Rogers song in my book. Because I just think that that's so impactful. Because feeling is healing. And when we allow ourselves to feel things, then we are then we are kind of putting it out there so that we can heal instead of just keeping it all inside. Uh, Rebecca Wood is asking, I love the way I see people say that. It just seems so ridiculous all the time. Rebecca Wood is asking, have you ever done interdisciplinary reading? I teach history, but I want to incorporate novels into my class. So should I go alone or try to get English teachers on board? So look, Rebecca, I have wanted to partner with other teachers forever. It's just that any number of things get in the way, right? One is schedules don't match up in the curriculum. Two is people just leave our school and like, we just don't, there's like, oftentimes it's like, is someone really gonna stay? Like, do I wanna put the work into creating this curriculum with you? That is something that we've created that we feel excited about. And then next year you leave and now someone new comes in and it's like, can they, like, can they, fill the role like the way that you did like are they going to get excited about something that we that we created together or do i have to like recreate the wheel again um i have done interdisciplinary stuff so when we read uh when we read geez what the heck is that oh night by uh wiesel uh i forget his first name anyway i'm sure people are saying it out loud um they it is that coupled with um, you have to learn history, right? You have to learn about there's certain things about um, about the Holocaust, about culture, about um, you know what's up, yeah, no, Ellie Wiesel, yes. Uh, so it is. Thank you, thanks, John. Uh, John Lopez always there with the always. Same. So it is. There, there has to be a level of base knowledge that students have so that they can connect it so that it's not. And then, and then it's, I think it's taking it a next step forward and saying, how can we see this now? Like, like what systems are in place that still seem oppressive, that, that still seem like they are um, singling people out. And so for us, that connection piece was criminal justice system. And so we visited like an old prison in Philadelphia and talked about like what it would be like to be in here and what that and what this would be like um, for for prisoners in concentration camps and not not drawing too close of a comparison to that. Right. Like, I don't want to I don't want to. The idea isn't to like really compare two things and say these are equal, but it's having the conversation about that. And then um, in reading things like. uh like Persepolis, which is a graphic novel about the Iranian revolution. That is like, there's all kinds of base knowledge and all kinds of good stuff that you can pull into that as well. In the past, V for Vendetta, um, and just about everything. I mean, I mean, like Lord of the Flies, like reading Fahrenheit 451, you have to study some of that history of like, well, what was it like when TV showed up? What was it like when, like when consumerism like exploded and was this thing that there were advertisements everywhere. It, it's, it's digging into some of that stuff. And I think it's really fun. So if you can't find someone in your school to partner with, I think go to the outside world, like find someone that, that has been caught up in the criminal justice system. That's been a soldier 
culture that has been, lived in a country under actual like real oppression um and, and and bringing those experts into the building to speak to the students because they're going to do it on a level and with an authentic with an authenticity that we often don't have which is one of my favorite things about my hip-hop class is like that i can have this a community that i can draw on that comes in and talks about you know african dance and african drumming and the history of djing and um uh, any number of other things, you know, black culture, like living in the city, uh, growing up in the South, like whatever place we're kind of talking about. So we don't just listen to Nelly, but we bring in someone that can speak to like, yeah, well, this is what he's talking about. Cause this is what it's like to live in St. Louis in this time period. And that's, that's everything. Uh, it's, it's one of those long answer days. I can feel it. <laughs> can feel it's it. always that. Uh, Lily Monroe is asking Colorado is cutting ed funding and taking uh and talking about layoffs also hybrid learning next year what are other states planning for i'm worried about getting a job as a first year teacher uh so um it, i think i i'm i'm gonna make a make a guess here but hybrid learning you're talking about doing like some at home and some in school look i, I saw a real interesting and maybe maybe they were speaking to this i follow uh hashtag hip hop ed on instagram and there was a picture today of a number of individuals, looked like all white men, shaved heads with barcodes on the backs of their necks, and it said something to the effect of like, uh, like, like educating the masses online is 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 cheaper, or it's something to that effect, right? I, I don't even have time to look it up right now, but um, it, but it would, but I'm feeling like that could be speaking to is this idea that it is cheaper and easier. We don't need buildings. We don't need lunches. We don't need um, to pay teachers like overtime or extra deal with like, like the union poll. Like there's so much, there's so many things that would be, that would just go away if we could just teach kids online. But, you know, I think what we're doing there is we are not serving children the way that they need to be served. I think that if, if there's one huge takeaway or one of the many takeaways in, 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 what we've learned through distance learning is that teachers are actual professionals, right? Like that we've studied, we've tried to get better, we've crafted lessons and built relationships and and done a lot of heavy lifting to be able to serve the communities in which we are in or to partner or to work with the communities in which we work. And when we're not able to do that on a person-to-person level, it's like, it, it just, it, it diminishes, um, the work and it it i think it further creates a, a further gap for students that don't have like when equity is really not a thing and kids don't have internet and access and homes on a safe space like or they are they you know it when you are not creating a space for students to show up and learn and get cared for and be fed mind body and spirit then we are we are furthering the gap between the haves and the have-nots when we do that. And I think that that's a dangerous space to get into. So Philadelphia has not talked about that on any level that I am aware of, but it is, um, it's certainly disconcerting to me. Um, and yeah, so that I don't, I don't, I can't speak for any other state, but New Jersey and, and Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, I have not heard that conversation come up. I can't find that post. Um, I will, I'm going to repost that post. So I'll, I'll repost that on my Instagram as soon as I'm done here. So if anyone's interested in seeing what I'm talking about or, or 
and maybe I have it wrong, but that's how I'm perceiving the thing. That's the beauty of art, is that you can perceive it any way that you want. Uh, Annabelle Arena is asking, what is your advice for helping students with ADHD or dyslexia? I find lots of resources for elementary, but few for high school level. And I think, you know, there's so much to say about this, but if I was even to give like a few quick ideas, one is helping students know that no matter who they are or how they learn, that they are fine just the way that they are. They are not broken. There's nothing wrong with them. But it is, in fact, just that school has been created for one type of child. And so when we, when we don't take into account the dyslexics, the kids with ADD, the kids with processing disorders, the, the kids with dysgraphia, um, dyscalculia, or, or any number of other learning differences. Um, and and, and I, I, I really want to make that word stand out because it is not um, learning disabilities necessarily. It is that you learn a different way, that you are more tactile and sitting in a row with a worksheet and, at, and told to to speak when spoken to, and then as Anis Mojigani says, and then are never spoken to, there's a problem with that. And so we need to create spaces in our in our schools where those kids are celebrated and given uh, an opportunity to win, no matter what their, their learning style is. And so in, in our classroom, one of the ways I try and do that is, um, one is dyslexia. I give kids audiobooks, right? So in speaking to experts on this, because I'm certainly not an expert on, on dys dyslexia, even though I'm fairly certain that I have dyslexia and it's just never been identified. Um, and my kids are, deal with it. That's something that they are, they are working through also. Um, I, I think that, you know, so what I've learned is that it is listening to a book and maybe following along and maybe just listening to it is doing a lot of the same things that reading a book is doing, right? It is growing your vocabulary. It is, um, it is helping you to become a more fluid reader. So if you're reading along with something and listening to it, you're hearing that fluidity, you're hearing the cadence in someone's voice, you're hearing how they, um, they will, you know, say certain things in such a way that is like, they're not just reading like this the whole time, like the guy from, you know, Ferris Bueller or any number of students in your class that don't want to read the book that you're reading. They're getting excited about it. And I just think that that makes it really fun um, as well, right? You're, you're putting in enjoyment into education. And so the, uh, the other piece of that, in, with regards to kids that are, that are dealing with like something like ADHD, it is creating spaces and places in your classroom that are, that are, that have them in mind. So I often get uh, told, like I, whenever I post pictures of my classroom recently, um, I get a lot of people that are like, oh, it must be nice to not have big classes. And it's like, oh, I have big classes. I have 25 to 30 kids in class. And, and but you know, what, what they see though is the number of desks that I have in my room. Because slowly over time, I just, I will like look out in the hallway. If I feel like there's a desk that's not being used, and just get rid of it. I'll put it at the end of the hallway or down some corridor where I just am like, I don't really know what to do with this. I don't want to tell anyone I'm getting rid of it. So I just make it disappear. And then it's, you know, someone else's issue or like, I don't know, maintenance puts it in the locker with the extra desks or whatever the hell they do with them. Um, but what I want to do is create spaces where students feel comfortable sitting. So I have a number of stand-up desks. If you notice in the back of my room, these large wooden crates or 
old lab tables that I have like put on uh, essentially on four by four so that kids can stand up and can move around. There's like a little bit of movement area there. They have stools, they can sit on the windowsills, they can sit at the couch. I have another lab table that turned into a coffee table so kids can sit on the ground. Kids can lay on the floor. Um, and so it, it moves into this space of like flexible seating that is designed with all types of students in mind. And that changes from year to year because the needs of one particular student. So I might have a student as ADHD that does very well standing up. They're good now. I might have another kid that lays on the floor and they might roll around a little bit and stuff like that. But if I go, bro, you listen to what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Rollins, I got you. What's the last thing I said? You said this. Okay. Because, you know, sometimes doing this doesn't look like you're paying attention, but then I love that I have this new chair. Um, <laughs> is, uh, is, is what we think of as paying attention is not paying attention, right? Like people can do other things while they are, they're doing that. So it's, it's just trying to create spaces in your classroom for students to find that, that um, ability to, to, to do the best that they can. I added the sped on a budget uh, video in oh, yeah. the comments, if anyone's interested. That's a great video. Um, I just want to say something about the dyslexia in high school. Yeah. Unfortunately, I just think that so much of dyslexia research focuses on young, like the younger you can get children, their brains are more malleable. You can re, you know, um, write those kind of like pathways to, to learning, which essentially like what dyslexia programs are doing for, for children. Yeah. I, I think if that's unmet in an elementary level, it's really hard. There's not a focus on it in high school. No, because what's focused on is learning how to deal with it now instead yes. of learn, learning a different way. Yeah. Um, and there's tons of people that have been successful in doing that. I, I you know, someone I might steer you towards is Jim Quick, uh, K-W-I-K, has done some really great work around this. And um, this is a really interesting individual. So you can look him up on Instagram or on his website or, or whatever, but he just puts out really good work and, or look him up on any number of podcasts that he's been on because he's really interesting guy in that space. Um, love happiness is as, that's a great one. Um, as a man without children, I often feel my advice has low standing when speaking to parents and thoughts. Uh, so look, I would say that's, or speaking to parents thoughts, uh, that is great insight, right? Because let's break this down. I'm going to go both sides. One, um, before I had kids, I had this idea of what I thought kids was gonna, having kids was going to be like and what kind of parent I thought I was going to be like. I was the guy in the grocery store that would see some small child in a cart, like tuned into an iPad and be like, I can't believe it. They can't even go to the grocery store without putting their kid on the iPad. I mean, come on, like learn to parent, have a conversation with your kid, teach them about math, be a, be together, like be in the moment right now. And that, that was me. Like I was a total jackass about it. And then when I had kids and I realized that they didn't want to be in the grocery store. That no matter what I was talking about, because I was trying to focus on where was the product and how can I get out of here fast enough and I'm navigating through aisles and I'm trying to get around people and what am I going to make this week and, and all the other things that are running around in my head trying to be in this space and get out of here is that I didn't have time to also appease my child, to converse with my child. Like I don't even have, if my wife and I go food shopping, we're not like talking business. We're not talking school or life. We're no, talking- wait, let's clarify. When we do go grocery shopping, you want to, and it drives me. I like feel like the parent, I want to put you on an iPad because then I can't focus on what right. I'm trying to get. But to my downfall, I don't write a list. 
I just know what I know and I go in and I get it. What else do I do at the grocery store? To write a list. Uh, You pick up weird random I enjoy picking up weird (laughs) stuff and putting it in the cart. Uh, I enjoy finding things at Target that are large and absurd and carrying those around like I plan on buying them. Um, I dance a lot. I sing all the songs that are on in the stores to my wife. The worse, the better. So it's like if it's the, like grocery shopping. If there's like some Christopher Cross on. <laughs> I mean, it's it's game on right now. So yeah, you're right. So it's like you're trying to find something to tune kids in. That being said, um, you were a kid once. You were someone's child. You grew up. You are an educated individual. And I think there's something to say about that. It's I think sometimes it is owning what we might not know, but saying, look, I don't have any children, so I can't. You know, I, I, I can't always say things for certain, right? but that's like, I don't know any number of things about my students and what it was like in their particular shoes to come up, whether it was their race, their religion, their sexual orientation, their, the, their parenting situation that happens at home, growing up in foster care, growing up as an adopted child. I can't speak to any of that because I haven't been through it. Um, and and, and I've, so I've never walked in those shoes. But if I can acknowledge that, then it becomes a place of I'm not trying to say I'm the authority. I'm trying to say that I'm, I realize I don't have children and I, and I never have. But in growing up, I was this kind of kid in school. I had this sort of difficulty in school. Um, I had a friend that dealt with this particular issue. I've worked with other students, and this is a commonality that I see that helps those sort of students, um, like kids that are not turning in work, kids that are having a hard time sit, being seated in class. This is what I've seen work. Or you flip it. And I think that not enough teachers do this. You say to the parent, is there anything I should know about your student that would help me to help them be more successful in school? That right there is the line because it is acknowledging that you don't know everything about this child, but the parent has known that child their whole lives. They carried them inside of them, or they've adopted them since they were a little kid, or they live with them all the time, or whatever the story is, you are acknowledging what they know. And I think that that is the move in, in terms of helping educator, uh, helping um, students grow. Like So the bottom line is, what you communicate to parents is, is two things. One, I only want your kid to be successful. It's the only thing that I care about, right? Two, I realize that you know more than me, so can we collaborate and try and come up with something that's going to work the best for your kid? And I think that 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 wins every single time. And by winning, I mean it helps the kid, right? If education is only ever about students, then that's what that conversation is based on and not – you know, because I used to get caught up in like being right or like, oh, this parent's going to come in and they don't know this about, they don't even know this about their child. And it's like, dude, they already know. They already know. They've been told by eight other teachers today. They've been told by every teacher before you that this is a problem or where their child lacks. It's like, hey, we're noticing this. What do you, how can we partner to help your child? And then that parent feels like they have an advocate. They feel like they have an ally in the situation and not someone that's just trying to get them or point out their shortcomings. Because damn it, man, when you're a parent, you already feel that all the time, every day anyway, is how you're just not good enough or like, what the hell are we getting this for? Oh, what I have kids for? We didn't know what we were doing. Sometimes we I saw other people with kids and we thought that looked like a good idea, I just know. like when we got the dog and that. I couldn't stand having the dog, but now he's my best friend in the whole world and I love my children. So, all right. <laughs> 
Um, Catherine Johnson is asking, in an ideal world, what would you see as a good solution to next year if we can't fully go back? I'm going to be on a committee for my school and I'm looking for ideas. Catherine, that's such a great question. What would I want for my students next year? I think that we need to make it an absolute priority that all students are at least starting at a space where technology is equal, where there's enough internet, there's enough computers. And look, I get it that, you know, I hear people talking about that. Um, that's the family's problem. Like, they, like, where, like, why don't they have the, like, they should have computers for their kids. But when you're at school and you're doing one-to-one, kids all have computers. When I roll the computer card in, it's because not everyone's got a device. There's reasons I can't do things when everyone's on a cellular device in one class. I can't do that with all classes because I realize that not everyone has a cell phone in every class. So I think it's, um, it is trying to create equity in terms of technology, right, from the jump. Making sure that someone's internet's, not that they just have it, but that it's strong enough. Like I, like, I think as a country, we've forgotten largely that some people still have dial-up internet. Like, that's a real thing that still exists. Like, you can't just, like, tap into the Wi-Fi because you live in the middle of nowhere because um, your parents are farmers or they live on an, a reservation or something like that, and that is not something that exists. The other thing I think is, I keep going back to this, but my friend Adam Welcome said uh, this idea of trimming the fat. It is taking these giant ideas of what we think school should look like, of the 50-minute or block you know, classes, that all the stuff that we need to drill into students and saying, what's actually essential here? And I, the question that I love, 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 that is, there's a pro, I think this is where it comes from. This guy, it's not Peter Atia. It's whoever started the SpaceX program. Um, one of the questions that they often ask is, they'll come up with these huge ideas, right? Like, how do we colonize Mars? How do we make fresh water accessible for everyone in the world? And one of the things that they talk about is um, what would this look like if it were easy? And I love that question because then it's what it's doing is shifting. It's not make it's making this giant, difficult, scary thing a different conversation. You're going, but what would this look like if it was actually easy? And when you do, when you start from there, it's like, well, everyone would have this, and we'd have this, and and you'd start looking at the needs of your community and how you can actually answer them without putting limitations on it. Because what that's allowing you to do, and my wife, I drive her crazy with this idea, is it allows you to dream. It allows you to take your imagination and start thinking of connection points that you wouldn't normally think of, right? You are you are becoming the A-team. You're MacGyvering that situation. And in that, I think that that's where a lot of creative solutions come out of. Um, and I think that schools get stuck with coming up with creative solutions. They come up with political dis- in, in decisions or they come up with policy changes or something like that instead of thinking about the kid and learning and how do we make these things happen and have the teacher become the facilitator of that. Like that's the, that's the trifecta, right? So like, but how do we get from here to here? And I think it's cutting out a ton of other stuff. And so, so that we can put in that good work. Um, the only other thing I'm really, really concerned about is social emotional well-being for students and how are we meeting those needs. And I don't necessarily have an answer for that, except for one-to-one phone calls and, and communicating with families, letting them know that you care and you're thinking about them and that you are there for their kid. But on a on a school-wide level, I don't really know like what that looks like. Because I think as soon as we make those calls mandatory, then it becomes calm. 
Hey, Jordan, how are you? Is everything good? This okay. And it becomes like a checklist of talking points instead of like, yo, bro, what's going on? Like, what have you been up to? What do you watch on Netflix? Yeah, I love that show. What did, what did you think when this happened on there? Or like, what are you thinking about this? Or yo, did you see that new Fortnite update? Yeah, it was really tight the other night. Like, and, and having those conversations, I just think that that's, it's more. Looking and feeling and they are noticing like the disconnect and, and almost like the depression kind of like that's coming on some children from not having that part of the. Yeah, dude, I mean, I would, gosh, I mean, if I taught my ones. Right, like that's our daughter. If I taught in our neighborhood, I would like, leave balloons out in front of someone's house or like just like tag up the front of their house with some sidewalk chalk real quick and then you can just you're just surprised by joy and i think that that is the piece that's reminding you um because it's hard to do because you can't bring those children together right it's impossible i know but when you have so much other right like when you're not able to trim the fat and you have all this laundry list of crap that you need to do that gets put on that falls by the wayside and it falls as not important it's really important because we are i mean like we've talked about this ad nauseum in our house is my level of work that i've been doing now compared to when i'm in school it's so much more because it's documenting everything. It's, did you call a kid? Did you fill out the uh, eight different things on the Google slide for every single one? And 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 who'd you call and why'd you call them and where'd you call them and what number did you use and did you communicate with them and what did you communicate with them about? It's like, oh my God, it makes me not want to call anybody. Or I just call people and I just don't fill the thing in because I just, it's like, because I could have called three more kids in the time I filled out the spreadsheet. Wait, above um, the grave said, my kids asked if we could continue uh, Zoom calls through the summer. Yeah, because they wanted to just want to connect. I, I want to call you. kids all summer too. And I, and it kills me that I haven't been able to to talk to everyone yet because I just want to it's just it's it literally is the is the best part of my day yeah. in school anyway when I just get to call kids and say, "Yo, man, what's up?" and you hear them and they're like, "Reynolds," cuz they're yeah. stoked that you're like they're like, "Damn, like like we're really talking." And it's like, "I miss you. I want to I want to like just know what you're up to. I wanted, you know, cause we were tight all year or for four years or whatever. And now, you know, and now I don't see you and that, that kills me. I'm not crying. I just have something in my eye. I mean, I cry a lot, but not this time. Um, Jace Schmidt, Jace, I have never seen that name in my life. I actually was thinking that also and how much I like that. Fantastic. Name. I love it. Um, how do you approach administration that does not support you when parents question your teaching style and classroom and behavior management. Oh, I know this one. Uh, how do you help everyone work as a team instead? Jace, it is, look, there's, there's only so much you can do. So the, the way I deal with this is I've had both. I've had um, students that have been awful to one another in class and so like i once had a student that was um that this is years and years and years ago that was low-key threatening um like one of my students that it was like was just a lot different than everyone else he didn't really talk he was he was very very quiet he was very very shy he would eat lunch in my room every day and he would make um paper dolls every day in my room um and puppets out of them and then he would get really kind of excited but like low-key like show them to me and be excited about them we would talk about it and stuff like that but no sense of being able to like stand up for himself or voice his opinion didn't want to share in class but would share with me after class and say i didn't want to say in front of the class today but like this is what i was thinking or feeling about something i found out a student 
was like threatening him, like, like saying awful, awful things to him. So I tried to talk to that kid about it. It escalated. The student that was doing the threatening, like exploded, went home, told his mom that I was, that I was doing whatever or handling it however. Um, but I did tell that student that you're not welcome in our class unless we can get through this. So like, whether it's with me or whether it's, we're going to communicate with at home or with, you know, you know, other partners that we have in, in the school, because having you two in the same space, it's just being antagonistic every single day. And that's just not going to happen. So like, if you show up and you're cool and we can, we can live awesome, but otherwise we're just going to like, I'm going to have to, we're going to have to figure out another scenario to be successful with this. And I got thrown under the bus. Like the parent came in, took the kid's side, told administration. And in the meeting, the administrator goes, well, why did you do that to him, Reynolds? Why did you say this? Why didn't you do this? And it's like, bro, for like, like all of a sudden this is on me. And it was extremely unfair. And I've had any number of times that that's happened. But then I've had administrators like um, someone, my, my CEO at my school, who's like literally one of the greatest human beings I've ever known. That dude backs you no matter what. You might still have a talk afterwards. Something might happen afterwards. But he is always about supporting teachers because he wants he wants reconciliation. That's his thing. It's not about winning or losing. It's about reconciling. So what do you do when you don't feel supported? I think, one, you, you speak truth to power, right? So, like, you talk to administrators if, if, if that's, you know, even something they're willing to have a conversation about. It's like saying, hey, look, I feel really unsupported. And I'm wondering, like, what is kind of the game plan when I'm coming into this. Like, like, so get a sense of like who they are and what they're about. If you feel like you don't have an ally in that position, I think you have a couple of decisions. One is, do you want to work at that school anymore? Because I think that, you know, teachers are really important, but administration definitely sets the tone. And if you're in a space where you don't feel like leadership, if whoever is, is the captain of your ship, bro, like they're going to decide so many different things that it doesn't matter if you and the crew are all on the same page the captain might just be taking your ship to a different place than where you really want to go. Um, the other thing is finding allies in the school, finding, you know, so when I've in, in times when I felt like I haven't connected with certain members of administration, it's, but do I connect with the assistant principal or the grade level Dean or the department chair or the, the grade, le the, whoever's in charge of, of, you know, that particular grade or um, the, the social worker or other teachers. And so you are creating connection points with other people so that I don't have, I don't go to administration or at least to certain members of administration when I have a particular issue. I'm instead going to the people that I know and trust and that are on this journey with me. And that's who I'm drawing my help from so that it doesn't become a space where I have to trust no matter what the policy says. It's like, nope, I will figure out another way. So I'd say that like, oftentimes instead of just kicking a kid out or like calling the the principal or assistant principal um one of my main allies is my friend mr meeks that teaches at my school he's been in a bunch of videos with me before and meeks and i he has this incredible ability to communicate with students so i can it's almost like a translator like this is what i'm trying to get them to understand and meeks goes he breaks it down in a way that they understand it and so that has been He's been such an important and incredible ally to me in school because we are some we are people that like we work as a team together um, to to do that. And I think if you can find someone like that, it, it can make an incredible difference. Um, 
Annabelle Arena is asking, how do you know when you found the right school for you? What kinds of variables are good uh, good to look into? So, and I would say I'm I'm a really intuitive person. So when we like, so I don't really talk about this very often, but the ta- the neighborhood in which we live is just outside of Philadelphia, and um, we had this idea that initially we all were going to move to Camden, New Jersey, which is um, is predominantly uh, black and Hispanic neighborhood, right? And instead of moving there, because what we wanted to do is like be good neighbors, right? We wanted to find space that needed good neighbors and be good neighbors. And then we thought, well, let's move a step out of that. So we live in a town now that is historically racist and, and predominantly white. And so it, to the point where like, there's a million stories I could talk about this, but the idea that we had was how do we bridge the gap between these two communities? So it was us and two other families moved to this neighborhood. And then now there's about 50 of us that live in the same neighborhood. And it's been doing things like being a part of the, the, the board meetings at the school, being coaches on teams and just being kind and loving individuals in the community, helping to create a community garden um, with this idea that if everyone sweeps in front of their own house, then the whole neighborhood, the whole world's clean, right? And so it is taking care of vacant properties on the street so that they don't get like vandalized and stuff like that. And and so th- that's that's the idea behind that. But when we moved to this neighborhood, it there didn't take a lot of digging. I literally remember coming down the, like several blocks from me, coming into the neighborhood. I've never driven in here before in my life, and uh, just knowing instinctively that this is where I needed to be. I knew in both schools that I went into that I knew in the moment that this is where I was supposed to be. When I married my wife, when I decided to have kids, when I decided that teaching was the move for me, when I decided to start doing YouTube, like all these things are like literally I have these moments of clarity where it's like, yeah, I can see myself here. Like this, this is what I'm to do. So I'd say also, do you see yourself working in that community? And I think the important question you want them to be everyone's had that friend Well, you just you just saw the good in them you saw how great they were you saw how wonderful they would be but then as time went on and the truth revealed itself and you they burned you or you became not friends or you know just because he cheated on his wife doesn't mean he's going to cheat on you kind of an idea right but it's like dude if you look back you go damn all the signs were there i just wanted it to be something better i think that's one of those things so it's like do they have programs? Do they care about kids? Do they care about their teachers? Like, how are they How are they connecting with the community? Um, those are the things that I'm looking for to see if this is actually a good fit. But for me, it's like this intuitive, like, can I, can I see myself here? And then just knowing right off the bat, because I'm looking at things for exactly where they are. If things never got better at that school, could you see yourself staying there? And, and I think that that's a good, that's a good indicator. Um, I just answered that question. Did you have one underneath of it that I missed? Oh, sorry. It's all right. I'll use this time to get a drink of water real quick, which Edie thinks we should edit out. <laughs> She's laughing at you now. I know. I love you, Edie. <laughs> uh, Skyline Little is asking, what do you think about technology being used for teaching? I, I think, look, I think it has its space. I have two ideas about this. One is that we often use technology in the same way that we're using all the other stuff that's boring in school. Like, so we'll give kids a worksheet on an iPad, but it's the same thing as the worksheet. But now we're like, we're using technology in class. I think if technology doesn't 
is used as a tool, as a way to elevate, engage, inspire, motivate, um, and teach kids, it's awesome. But if we're using it as a babysitter, as a way to get out of creating lesson plans, as a way to um, put the learning and the responsibility off on someone else, then I think that's being used wrong. However, that being said, I see your profile picture is Minecraft character. Um, my son, if given the opportunity to learn like any number of things from like math to, um, to geography through the lens of Fortnite, like, dude, like that, that would be, that would be next level especially if we're talking about like Minecraft in terms of like survival, right? So like in survival mode, I'm always amazed at the amount of stuff that my students, or not only students, my children who are, you know, students I, I created. Um, they, uh, they, in survival mode, when they know like, all right, how do I, so I have to make a crafting table, but I need these ingredients to make the crafting table. And then when I have the crafting table, I need to get these different elements and I put them together and it makes this thing, is the jumping off point for so much great stuff in education and instead, they were just never taught like that. So if students have an aptitude for that, or they have an interest in that, or they have a love for technology, for coding, for um, Minecraft, for whatever it is, then using that as a tool to teach them the things that you need them to know about, I think it is friggin' the greatest idea. Because it, what it's literally doing is saying, "I telling students, I see you, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to help you become the fullest and greatest version of yourself and to give you all the opportunity in the world. Um, Mr. James Pete is asking a uh, question. More like story time. I love story times. What one story about no, working? Your, your answer is going to be this story time. Oh. <laughs> Today, that's how I'm feeling, James. Um, what's the story about working with a teammate that was Kim said and made your job not easier, but opened up the door for you. Uh, hmm. Let's put him on the spot. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I don't know. Opened up a door for me. I would say, it's a great question, man. Who has sort of unlocked something in me? I would say, I'm going to talk about, and you can go check this guy out too, and this is not a plug, I'm not associated with them in any way. Um, I had a friend, Nick Pascal, and Nick was um, the uh, white guy, grew up in an Italian family um, in, Phil in New York, in, in the Bronx. I think he was from the Bronx. And so he, his dad died when he was younger, and then he got into education, ended up working at the same school that I'm working at now. We were at the same church for, for years and years and years. And Nick is this dude that is, I mean, he is incredibly kind on a level and forgiving that I had not, I, I don't know many people that it's, it, that if they were like that, it didn't stand out to me. He was also sort of fearless that no conversation was going to be a conversation he wasn't willing to have with a family, with a student, or with someone that we worked with. But he did it in such a way, with such tact, that you never felt off put. You never felt like he was coming at you. It was like more like a dialogue than it was like a, like dropping the mic. And so, um, and Nick owned who he was. He is, he's a really handsome dude. He really cares about his clothes, but he would wear these suits that were so tight um, that I remember <laughs> I Noah telling me that like, 
he that he used to split his pants all the time because if he had to bend over to get something, he would split the ass in his pants because his clothes are so tight. And so Nick did an interview the other night with uh, Todd Nessaloni on um, what is it? Is it hashtag Tell Your Story? Yeah. So if you go on on Todd Nessaloni's YouTube channel, yeah, Todd Nessaloni, you just go on his YouTube channel, you can find this interview with Nick. And watching him, I once saw him teach a class that was in the dining hall of our school to fifty seniors. And they were silent, respectful, captivated. It was like, it just showed you, like, when you went back to your little class of 25 or 30, you were like, damn, I can't even get this under control. I mean, it's teaching in the lunchroom while they're making lunch, while there's a th- deliveries going on, a thousand other things. And kids are sharing their heart. They're being engaged. They're working with one another. They're collaborating on stuff. And it just showed you, like, damn, like, I can't even do this in my own class. It just didn't make me feel bad and just showed me what was possible. And the way that kid that Nick connected with kids relationally was amazing to me. It was just like, it was, he was just beloved by everyone. And it just showed me what was possible. And I think that really opened up a door to me to say like, no, don't back down, like see things through and, and like have difficult conversations and love kids for who they are. And always, always, always forgive everyone. Um, and that that it it showed it what it did was it showed me how to really unashamedly bring love into the game of teaching and that 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 was huge for me that's a great answer to that question thanks man you never tell me that i mean sometimes afterwards you tell me but like in the moment um enjoy i'm gonna actually put that on instagram too i'm gonna tell people they need to go on and check my guy Oh, you know, Nick doesn't have like an Instagram or anything no, like that. No, he doesn't, but I put the link on. Oh, okay, word. Um, enjoy life is, people have like some really positive names today. Really? Uh, hello, what's your best advice for distance learning parent connect uh, conferences? Um, so I, again, I I have, I don't think my, my view changes on that. Uh, we went, we went against having parent conferences for this third trimester. Um, Cause we're just calling parents anyway all the time. And, and so the way we're doing that is uh, we are communicating with, with everyone kind of like took a chunk of parents. And so that sounds so ridiculous. sounds like we're murdering people. Um, we all like, we kind of broke it up into sections and then I have my, I don't know, 12 or 15 parents that I need to communicate with weekly, but then I have, it's choose your own, adventure right so like i can call as many parents or as kids i want during the week but it's making sure that those particular students are being communicated with and those families are being communicated with so we did away with it but i have a video about teacher conferences that i think it really speaks to this and i think it goes back to that point they made earlier it's it's understanding the anxieties and the fears and the doubt that is in parents right now it's asking what else is going on that you might need to know about so that it's going to help you make informed decisions when helping a child. Because there are some kids that have everything. They have the internet, they have the computer, they have the love, they have the food and all that's there. And that's going to make you maybe make an informed decision about, well, this work isn't particularly good enough, or I want to see more from you in this, 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 and this way. And then with students that their parents are gone all day. And now that kid is in charge of, you know, that 10 year old is in charge of taking care of the three or four little brothers or sisters, and they are making food during the day and they're doing chores and there's, you know, not enough internet or there's not enough quiet space to actually do work. Like that's going to inform certain decisions that you're going to make as well. So I think finding out 
what's going on in homes and whether or not that parent has anything to share. It's not about like asking them poignant questions like, uh, does your child have to care for their younger brothers and sisters during the day? But it's like um, asking like, is there anything I should know about or that you feel it would help me be a better um, teacher for them at this time? Like what struggles is your kid going through at this time and how might we, what do you have any ideas on how like we could make this better? Um, because again, I just think of my wife going into like IEP meetings for our kids before and no one ever asked her what she thought. No one ever asked her what to, what she thought was the move or what she should do or, or anything like that. And no one ever if, asked me about my child who I know incredibly yeah. better than everybody else. And so I just, I think that that shows parents one, that you really care that you are all about love and you're about caring for their kid and helping their kid do the best and, and really looking at the situation in a real way. And then, um, and so that, that, I think those, those few things would really help in the, in that situation. Uh, break. Pinoy. I don't know if I said that right. We're going with it. Break is asking, what advice can you give for an undergraduate student wanting to teach high school. Um, I, I, I've talked about this a lot, but I think it's getting involved now. It's not waiting. When you want to be a carpenter, you don't wait to start like learning how to saw things and hammer nails in. Like, even if you're not a full-fledged carpenter, even if you're just in trade school, it's like doing that stuff all the time. You're always looking for opportunities to fix something, to help someone, to get some advice, to get some ideas. So I think coming to things like this, I think being a part of things like our Facebook group, Real Rapid Reynolds Teacher Talk, um, it's reading the books, it's, uh, listening to the podcast, but I think everything, all of that is just informing, helping you to become, uh, more aware, more strategic. It's, it's, it's doing a lot of stuff, but it's not putting you in front of students. So I think it's both end. I think it's learning as much as you can on your own, as well as in school, but then finding out opportunities to get involved with children. So whether that's right now, like on an online platform, like, like VIP kids or Dada ABC or some sort of like online tutoring program. It's um, talking to schools and saying like, Hey, can, can I help at your after school program? Or can I help like come in and observe or be an aide in a school or substitute teach or something along those lines, you're getting engaged with it. Um, because practicing your golf spring is swing is great at home, but it's what's going to happen when you're out on the green and you're playing against other people. And so it's trying to put yourself in that space as much as possible to start honing those skills and seeing what that really feels like. Uh, Laura is asking, Laura, her profile picture looks like Storybird. I know, it confused me every, um, it trips me up every single time I see it. So uh, Storybird is a company that we did a pro, uh, we partnership with at one point and they did, they have really great platform online. Um, loved your last video, thank you so much. What states are you and your daughter hoping to hit on your cross country trek next year? Uh, hint, Maine is beautiful in the summer. So I ha I've been to Maine in the summer with my parents back in the day, and I loved it. So I think what we're hoping to do this time, so like, look, I'm hoping that this goes incredibly well. So for those of you that don't know, my daughter and I, this year we were planning, and I don't know that's going to happen now because of all, of all that's going on with the pandemic, was to drive from uh, where we live in, in New Jersey to um, to California and then have adventures the whole way and then end that at Legoland, which is somewhere that my kids want to go. My son is not excited at all about driving across the country. So um, my wife, he and my wife are planning on flying there and meeting us when we're done. And then we could still have that. Pretty and I are very similar. 
I also would not. Mar and I cannot bathe for three weeks and sleep in the back of the car in a Walmart parking lot and be completely happy about it. (laughs) So I think it's going to look like um, going from Jersey down to like Maryland, Virginia, and then essentially just making a right and going across uh, Route 40. So that's like Tennessee. I I forget how it lines up. Maybe Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi, um, Oklahoma, Texas, the Panhandle, and then down into New Mexico, which is where my mother-in-law lives, and then kind of swooping under uh, New Mexico, going hitting the Grand Canyon, and then heading like towards the Los Angeles area. And then I'll, I might drive back by myself. I'm not sure if my daughter wants to do that, but um, that might be a different route. Might not. Might just be get home quick. I, I don't really know. But then that I'm hoping that that spawns trips to like up to Maine because I think that that's a whole trip in and of itself, like Connecticut, New Hampshire, um, all, all of that kind of beauty together, Vermont in the main is, is amazing. And then another trip like down South sometime, like all the way down to the Florida Keys is another one I've done. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to have someone with me because I've, I've done a lot of these trips alone. And so the first time I drove cross country, I did it all by myself. I was 22 years old and uh, nobody wanted to go with me. And so it, that's fun and exciting in and of itself. But it's just like, there's nothing like shared experience, like to be, to show up in the Grand Canyon and to look at it in all of its majesty and to just be alone is like, uh, it's just like, this isn't like, I want to hug somebody or give a high five or experiences with somebody and instead you're alone and you have no one. So hopefully Marley's digging it. She also wants to take the dog with us, which I don't think is going to happen. But, um, hold on, before you um, answer that, um, last one. Do that one. Okay, gotcha. And then Dawn Davis. And then do that. Got it. Um, Dawn Davis, question one. Would you consider partnering with a teacher to write a book for first year new teachers? If it was if you were open to it, would you prefer uh, that this is that this is shared with you? How would you prefer that this is shared with you? So I would. Um I felt so Adam welcome my friend writes a lot of books uh, with other people. And so I think that that's really interesting um, idea. I think it would have to be someone that you really see eye to eye with, you really gel with, because I think that anytime I've ever partnered with anyone in anything, whether it was a band or a company or, or a video, uh, it's you get to this point where there's going to be like some, like you're seeing things a little bit of a different way and then being able to, to work through that together. Um, but that would be, exciting to me. Um, and if someone was ex- interested in that, it's just reaching out, like, uh, you know, a lot of my DMS and emails are, are, are viewed before I get them these days, because I just can't get to all of them. I get so much of it right now. And there's only one me to, to create content and do things that I need to do. Um, but any of that stuff is like either my wife sees it or, uh, my helper ED sees it and she gets stuff to me. Um, I saw that that said question one, but I didn't see a question two, and my wife just walked away from me. So I might go back to that, but uh, I apologize for not being able to read the name, but it is 100% Freedom Fighters, LOL, but I have zero idea how to say that first name because I can't pronounce people's names usually. Question is, if a kid had an awkward history, if a kid had an awkward history question, should I just lie and tell him the story or narrative or admit that the issue is a hoax. 
if a kid had an awkward history question. So I think honesty is, you know, gosh, honesty is the best policy, but I really think that it is, man. I think that there have been any number of times in class where I just thought that something like in history was just like, you can't lie to, like you grew up with a lie. And so I, it's, it, maybe it's not even saying you're being lied to. It's look, there are other scholars that would say this. There are, you know, those of us that grew up thinking that Christopher Columbus was the greatest human being ever alive. And then he's discovered America and that um, we have this day for him. And we really are, were excited. And we were like, we learned, you know, in 1492, Chris, uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue and, and learned all that stuff. Come to find out later in later years that like, actually, he might not be the person we thought he was, is I think the beauty of history is, is, is you know, it's being able to look at things in a more um, informed sense and not just taking whatever is given to you. So this picture that I have back here, I've been getting a lot of questions and DMs about it. Uh, it's Henry David Thoreau and the disobey is taken off of the uh, Shepherd Ferry work, which is to obey the Andre the Giant piece. And then this similar kind of image was used for the uh, for Barack Obama when they did the, was it Believe? I'm not listening to you. I'm not oh, I forget what the hell the word was on the bot. You know, the one I'm talking about, hope, hope. So um, the, the idea is, and, you know, often kids will see this in my classroom, and like, you just think that we shouldn't do what we're told? We should just be anarchy? We should do whatever we want? It's like, no, it's just not taking whatever's being fed to you all the time. It's looking at it through a critical lens. And no matter who that is or what that is, because we, as people, don't get to decide the messengers that are bringing the messages into our lives. And so sometimes those people look a little bit sketchy. Sometimes they look the part, but their message is way off. And so it is just becoming as informed as you can so that you can make a decision based on what the facts seem to be at that time. And later, when we find out that people that we heralded, that we thought were amazing, that we thought were the greatest people in the world, and they have this fall from grace, it's like letting that now inform your decision. Or people that we thought were guilty of something or were horrific, like heinous people, like why why are we heralding them so like one of the things we talk about with my students um we've talked about in the past is uh che Guevara and how some folks you know they know him from the t-shirt right or or whatever gear that they're wearing with with him on there but it is um there's some weird bug on my on my camera um th it's uh it's you know but what do you what do you know about che Guevara um what do you know about his policies his views like so it's, i'm not saying don't rep his stuff i'm not saying like don't wear the gear with the picture on i'm not saying that you can't love whoever that individual is but like do you have a full um idea of who that individual was or did you just like read a book on it or something like that so i think i think absolutely challenge those things with your students because what what we're doing what we're teaching kids to do is question, question the books that you're being, that you're being read, um, question the opinions of others, not disrespecting it, not just railing against the man, but it's like, why? Like, like just asking why in a way that you're just trying to grow and be the best human being that you possibly can with the best informed and making the best informed decisions that you can. Um, that other question that you showed me earlier, mm -hmm. it said question one. I didn't see a question too. Okay, cool. Uh, Annabelle, I just wanted to make sure we weren't skipping something she was asking. Um, what is the process like for creating a new elective class, such as your hip hop class? How do you tie it into state standards and get it oh, set up in the school? You're, you're over an hour. 
Oh, okay. Uh, so we'll, yeah, we'll do this. Um, for me, it was, I, I, this is, so some questions are easy for me to answer and some of them aren't. And this is why I think that my particular skill set is in taking what kids are interested in and tying that to curriculum. It's just something that comes very easy to me. It's like making jokes. Like I'm real, I can really make um, jokes very effortlessly. And I think of things in a different way in the same way that like a lot of my students can write like rhymes or lyrics or poems. And they come up with these beautiful, beautiful combinations of words that I just, I do not possess that skill set. Um, or some people can dress really, really well. And you're like, damn, like, like, I would, I don't even know how you even came up with the idea. Like I wouldn't even, that outfit wouldn't have stood out to me at all. Or the idea that you wore that hat with the pin, with the jacket, with the scarf, with the, with the, or the handkerchief with the pin. And it's like, damn, the whole thing's good. That, I think that that's one of my gifts is being able to do that. But I think to me, it's looking where students are focused. What are they interested in? Is it something that I can be excited about also? Deep diving into that. And then look when you're learning about it, when I'm reading stacks and stacks of books on the history of hip hop and hip hop culture, it is, am I finding commonalities between this thing that I'm reading about and something that happened in class. And so I'm always looking and watching and, and everything I consume is always through the lens of, yo, how can I use this in school? How can I use this to motivate a kid, to inspire a student, to uplift someone, to help someone, to whatever? Um, it's, it's that then. So it's finding what the kids are excited about first and then it's like making it fit the mold of, of school instead of the other way around. Uh, and so that, I think that that's the move. And then I, I worked with um, other people in my school. I worked with folks online to help develop the curriculum that went along with that. And that to me is, is the best part because it's not just through the lens of, of Reynolds, but it's through the lens of like the community of educators that have helped to craft this curriculum to make it something that is both enjoyable, educational, exciting, engaging, um, and builds partnerships and communities all over the city of Philadelphia. Um, can you say that name? And you can end on that one. Sure. Uh, Jesus Alonzo Rico <laughs> Palicio. Pretty good. Bro, I think I, I think I just nailed that. Um, I, I, maybe I did. Maybe you're laughing at me. <laughs> maybe you're sitting in your house like, he has no idea. I bet you um, Romina would not say that no, you nailed no, that. When I, when, so one of my favorite students, she wrote the foreword for my book. Uh, even when she lived, she's, she's, her parents are from Mexico. Uh, she was born in the U S but when I would order Mexican food often, when I worked in Camden, cause they had this great spot around the corner where like no one spoke English. I'm hearing up. I know. I know. I just like this part of it because Romina would get so mad that I would call up and I'm like, yeah, can I have polo enchiladas with mole sauce? And she'd be like, Reynolds, that's not how you say it. And then she would roll her <laughs> R's or her L's. And I'm just like, dude, I can't say it like that. Cause I don't, I don't, I, I feel self-conscious. So when she went away to college to Syracuse university, I would call her and be like, yo, I want to order Mexican food. You need to call it in for me. Cause I, cause oftentimes stuff would come back wrong also because I, I didn't know how to say it. And so Romina for four years ordered all of my Mexican food from Syracuse university. It was fantastic. Do you recommend your book to Mexican English teachers in Mexico? So I would say this, Jesus, and this, look, I tried to write my book so that it was suitable for everyone, for people that were teaching pre-K or 
to, to seniors in high school, for teachers that were paras or co-teachers, for administrators, um, for tutors. It's to me, the the book is not so much. So there's been some misconceptions about around the book, right? Like around like what is the real rap guide to teaching mean? Um, it has nothing to do with rap. It has everything to do with the fact that my students refer to real rap and they're having real rap with you. It's a real talk. It's a real conversation. We're we're having an open and honest and vulnerable conversation. And so that was meant to be an homage to my students. That's kind of been uh, questioned, but. The book is not about how to teach through hip hop necessarily, although there is a chapter about that. Um, but it's my experiences with that and the way that students have been able to grow and the ways that I've been able to facilitate community through that. It's more than anything a way on how to connect with students on a, on a human level, on how to, to look at your students as people, as how to um, look beyond yourself for the help that you might need. So like building a community, whether that's small or large, whether it's two of you in a school or it's a whole bunch of us online meeting for for meeting every sunday it is and then using that to create an expression of care which is what we are doing as educators for our students to for to be able to see our students for who they are and not for what we want them to be for looking at things for exactly the way that they are and trying to meet the needs of all of our students um no matter what and so that is what i thought that was my my idea, the, the reason for me writing the book. Um, and it was something that I felt like, you know, if it was talked about before, I don't read a lot of education books. I haven't in, in years. Um, cause, cause I just, I don't have the time, but, um, it, that, that's what I felt like it was for. So do I think that it's for them? Yes. I feel like it's, it's for everyone. Uh, and, I, and you know, it's funny the first time that I mentioned having cereal parties in my, in my class. So for those of you that don't know, I don't do pizza parties because I feel like every teacher does that. So we just changed a little bit and we eat cereal. We eat cereal with the least nutritional value as a community in our classroom. And the first DM that I ever got as a response to that was a teacher in Mexico that did that with her class. And she said it was by far the greatest thing and the most memorable moment of the year because you were just people sitting around, eating cereal, having a conversation. And it was like sitting around any other table, right? We, as, as humans, communicate through food so much around mealtimes. And it's just creating those moments that are special, that are funny, that are, that are loving, um, and, and doing that together as with our students. Um, and that's how it works. So uh, look, real quick, before everyone goes, um, they, I, the response to the book has been incredible. And I really, really appreciate every single person that has that has bought the book, that has recommended the book. Um, going forward, if if you want, uh, I, two things I, I would like to ask of you is one: if your school is interested in doing um, a book study over the summer, so a lot of schools will read a book or several books over the summer. Um, I want you to know two things: one, I have book study. You have three things: one, I have there's book study materials already. You don't have to prepare anything. If you want to do my book, please contact me and I will put you in touch with um, my publisher because you can get a discount rate if you order the books at large. So you don't have to go on Amazon and order 50 to 100 to 500 books and pay that price. There's a discounted offer because you're ordering them in bulk. Uh, and three, if you decide to do that, I do uh, calls for free that follow the book study. So if anyone has any follow-up questions, we talk on a Skype call or a Zoom call for any set amount of time. Um, and that doesn't cost you anything. And it's just because I love being a part of the conversation. And the second thing is, if you have read the book, if you would please, please, please go on Amazon and do um, a review. What it does is it pushes 
It pushes the SEO in such a way that more educators are just going to know about it. And look, to be honest with you, the main reason that I wrote the book was because I just want to put the word out there and I just want to care for kids in such a way and let educators the same way that we're doing here to connect with people, to, um, to know that there is someone out there like them doing the work that they want to do uh, or, or are doing. So that there's someone that's the same kind of crazy as you in the world that's doing these sorts of things um, that we're, that we're getting so excited about in the classroom. So you can go right on Amazon, fill out the review, John. Um, and that's great. And I don't care if that's a one star, if it's five star, I'm not asking for that. Although I do prefer the five stars, but, uh, you know, <laughs> be honest, speak your truth. Um, in the, in the words of Vivette Davis, uh, that's it, everybody. I hope that you have a great week and we will be back next week here live from the laundry room. Peace. Hitting all the buttons and making this thing. And so I can eat lunch. And that's it for this week, gang. Look, if you ever want to have your question answered on Sunday Night Teacher Talk, all you have to do is show up at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel, Real Rap with Reynolds, and I'd be happy to answer any question that you put out there. Nothing is off the table. Thanks so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great week. Peace.